0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional
1: conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow beleaguered patriots and taxpayers, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze Media on Thursday, September 10th. And folks, you guys t- tune in every day because you want to hear unique information from a truly independent conservative perspective. Not any of that political party BS. Not the typical warmed over, leftover talking points. You want to hear new information. And I'm going to continue providing that new information as long as I'm in this business. But I just want you to know for today that what we have going on is all in your power. It's in my power. It's in your power. It's in all of our hands. There's no new information or new insights into federal or state government. That you could ascertain that will somehow allow us to pin our hopes on any one leader, any one media figure. Although some could help to spread the word and spread the truth, but ultimately it's in our hands. Are we gonna put up with this or are we not gonna put up with this? We have an epidemic, an epidemic that is a national psychosis. It spreads quicker than any respiratory virus. There's no herd immunity. There's no vaccine. And until now, there is no proven treatment that mitigate the symptoms, mitigate the death, the pandemonium, the panic, the fear. That's what we're up against. This is a societal battle much more than it is a political fight. This is the message that I got speaking to a prominent administration official that I've known for quite some time. And I, I you know, I called up to try to say, hey, we need to do this and that. You know, did you see this business of this seventeen month old being forced to wear a mask and on an airline and the flight got canceled? You need to get the FAA involved. And he said to me, you know, this fight is not gonna be won at the federal level. It's not going to really be one necessarily at the state level. So we won in society. If we are willing to put up with this mental illness, it will keep going on. If we don't, we could put an end to it. The biggest message that I could pass on to you from now until the rest of the year is that this has nothing to do with the election, whether you like it or not. Trump being reelected will not change this calculus. The reason we got here, whether it's bad policy, bad personnel, but then it took on a life of its own in the states and localities and in society itself, with the fear and mental illness taking root among the population, it's not going to change with Trump being reelected. I'm not saying that it's better to have Biden or I want Biden or I don't want Trump to be reelected for other reasons. But as it relates to the issue of our lifetime... That's going to affect every facet of our lives, our businesses, our schools, mental health. There is no shortcut. We have to stand up. I want to come back to this in a minute. And then also just, you know, we are going to have Dr. Mark McDonald on. Our in-house psychiatrist here. Who will update us on what he's seeing with this national psychosis and the effect on society that the panic porn and coronaphobia is inducing. But I just want to first buttress the point that you're waiting for nothingness and emptiness. Obviously, everyone's talking about this Bob Woodward book now. But the bigger deal is not everything the guy said is a lie. I mean, like all these tabloid type of books. A lot of it is, but some of it we know is true. And he talks about Jared Kushner. And how everyone is scared. Everyone, all the conservatives in the administration hate him, but everyone's scared to speak up. So it's a confirmation bias in Trump's own mind that no one has a problem with Jared. And like I've said all along, where are the men standing up to him and telling Trump the emperor is wearing no clothes? But that's not happening and it's unlikely going to happen. There's no shortcut. You know, again, another thing I just want to bring in before I bring this back to the actual Corona fascism, Corona psychosis discussion of today. Is the other piece of news about Trump's list, his grand list for the Supreme Court. And again, we're all looking for this panacea, this magic potion, this magic pill. Oh, yeah, yeah, you just just get a conservative Supreme Court. Oh, it's just a matter of electing Trump and Trump prospectively puts out a list and all it's a nice list and and this and that. I mean, like we spoke about yesterday, you look at what's going on in the courts, it's worse than it's ever been. And we had an entire election on this. Oh, let's have another election on this. If you think that's going to change, you're clearly part of that psychosis. It's a long-term fight to delegitimize the very erroneous premise, the fallacious concept of judicial supremacism, that a federal court, a state court, could just be the final say on any societal question that affects the whole of the people, and there's nothing you can do about that. The minute you agree to that, you're done. You have to fight that entire thing. It's not as simple as just casting a ballot. It doesn't work that way. We saw this happen already. And and, and the biggest joke about this Charlie in the football list is, again, I don't mean to be too hard on Trump today. I'm just saying the reality is both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh were not on the list. So he makes this big deal, and the two justices he got to pick weren't on the list. Mr. Bostock himself, Mr. Transgenderism himself, was not on there. Kavanaugh had problems with his Obamacare ruling, which is why his name could not be put on there during the election, and it got wiggled in there later. So, I mean, I don't even know if you could trust it. Now, if you want my opinion, I'm sick of these judges that you don't know where they are. Pick a political leader who has balls. I can't think of anyone better than Ted Cruz. Just pick Cruz. He'd do a lot better there than in the Senate. But again, even that, I'm not going to negate my own message and believe that that's somehow going to solve this. That's the problem. We're looking for this quick out. We don't like getting our hands dirty, fighting back in society, saying no, fighting back in your local church, community, neighborhood, school, getting in the face of the school board members and the county officials and the sheriff, organizing for liberty. There's no shortcut around that because what's going on is a vicious cycle where I think a lot of people are bought into the mental illness. And then I think there's a lot of people that aren't, but they're cowards. And everyone enforces it on the next person. Well, the school officials don't really believe in it, but they're scared of being shut down. So they're going to promote the child abuse and enforce it on everyone else. The business owners and the store shops, they don't really like it, but you know they don't want to be shut down. So they're going to put up a nasty sign. You better wear a mask. I mean, this is, this is not going to end. We need to reverse that momentum. And that's where we're going to get to someone like one of our listeners who wrote me a very heartfelt note. And, you know, he's really written me in the past. He has these great stories about him just unafraid to cause a scene in a store. And look... Let me tell you, my disposition is the same way. I mean, I don't like making a ruckus. I'm not a loud type of personality. But at some point, people are going to have to stand up. You got to step outside of your comfort zone. Now, the more effective, sometimes people will say, well, Daniel, I'm just going to make a fool out of myself, get thrown out. I'm not going to accomplish anything. So again, often the more effective thing is Shannon Joy, our resident advisor here, at CR, on local organizing for liberty, she always talks about you have to get a group of people together. It doesn't have to be a massive group, but eight or ten is a lot more than one. you got to get a group together that's willing to do something, get in their faces. This is what the left does so successfully. So at least get a group of like-minded people getting in the face of your schools and saying No. I know this with the private schools that I've dealt with and I had to pull my kids out. The majority of people agree with me. The majority of really even the faculty agrees with me. But what it is, is they're going to hear from the three doctors in the community that are idiots on this issue. The three parents that are, you know, overtaken by this psychosis. You better make them wear a mask. You better enforce it. You better do this. How many calls are they getting saying, you better not do it, otherwise I'm pulling my kids out. Well, I could tell you, in my kids' respective grades there, third and fifth grade, I couldn't find another parent with which I could form an education pod. Found some other people, not from the school. I seem to be the only one in the entire school. That's a problem. That's something that doesn't take the guts of what I'm going to read to you. So anyway, this is one of our longtime listeners and he lives in Queens, New York. He emails me to set the stage. My mother just recently passed away suddenly, most likely from a heart attack. It was completely unexpected. So I'm obviously very emotional and distraught to begin with. In these insane mask wearing COVID times, I had to get a notarized letter in order to release my mother's body from the medical examiner to the funeral as we are having her cremated because we just can't deal with the masks and social distancing BS at the wake. I just don't have the stomach for it, nor does my father, who is a complete wreck right now. So I went to my father's local bank in Queens, and we walk in and sit down waiting to be seen. My father is wearing his mask because he is scared to death of confrontation, but I won't. I was actually feeling lightheaded from anxiety over the loss of my mother. Then a banker comes over and asks... If we need help, so we tell her we need a death certificate notarized so she decides that she could help us. She then looks at me and asks, sir, do you need a mask? I'm thinking, wow, you may not have a choice for once. But in reality, I knew this is just a passive-aggressive way of trying to demand that I wear one. So I reply, no thanks, I'm okay, I have my hanky if needed. I'm even dumbfounded by the question, I can't believe what we have become. Instead of asking me if I need a glass of water or something, I'm asked if I need a mask. Anyway, my father walks into her office. Mind you, this is a huge bank with like 100-foot ceilings and had to be well over 3,000 square feet. Only five people in the entire place. My father goes in, does his part, signs his papers, gets the notary, and now it's my turn. Drum, Drum roll. I walk in, and this skinny little Nazi... Um, says to me, sir, I really need you to wear a mask. So I ask her, how in the world are you going to identify me if we are doing a notary? I have to show my driver's license and you, you need to know that it's me, right? She just continues on, sir, it's not about that. It's about my safety. I then say, okay, fine. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So I place my hanky over my nose and mouth and hold it with my hand and say to her, well, I'll just cover my face because I'm literally about to pass out So could you just sign the paper and I'll be out of your hair? She still refuses and keeps on about how I have to wear a mask. I'm now getting heated and emotional and tell her that I have my face completely covered. I could barely even yell through this damn thing because it's like triple ply since it's folded and probably even safer than her little 99 cent thrift store piece of garbage napkin with straps. She still wouldn't acknowledge and kept on kept on me about how I have to wear a mask. I'm telling her, are you serious? I have a face covering, I'm covered up all the way. I then try to reach her sensitive side, which she clearly has none of, and say, look, I just lost my mom, I need these death certificates signed, could you please just help me out? We could have we could have been done already. She repeats, sir, I'm concerned about my safety, you need to wear a mask or I can't help you. I just lost it at that point, stood up, grabbed my papers and yelled so loud, my voice echoed through the entire bank and told that heartless blank, that she should burn in hell for not helping me and how dare her not even show an ounce of sympathy and at least treat me like a customer or worse, a human being. I then stormed out of there with my father who was so nervous and emotional, but I calmed him down and eventually got the notary taking care of via web-based remote program with some Indian guy who was so kind and understanding. Daniel, I tell you, I've completely had enough. This was my last straw. I'm moving my wife and kids and hopefully my father out of New York and probably to South Dakota where life is normal and where there are no masks no lockdowns and something we once knew, freedom. Folks, again, this is where the fight is. <laughs> the fight is there much more than it is in the presidential election. It's not with the exclusion of voting or doing whatever you want to do. But this is where it's at. We have to break the cycle. The cycle of vicious, obsequious devotion to tyranny god bless this man but you know we don't even have to go to that level of ferocity and embarrassment where you're kind of one you know isolated as one individual in one place you could get together with people as a you know ahead of time if you know certain things are going on in businesses communities, schools and start fighting back So, at least you don't have to do it kind of, you know, just make a scene on the spot. We're not even doing that. I see it in my own private school. Everyone's like, yeah, Daniel, you're right. What am I going to do? I got to keep up my schedule. I got to go to work. I can't make waves. My question to you is at what point is this finally worth fighting for? When we get an answer to that, we will have a vaccine. For this psychosis. But until then. Make no mistake. This is never going away. Until you make it go away. On that note. I want to get to our guest. So folks. When we look towards an end. Charting a path to freedom. Again. It has nothing to do. With finding a vaccine. Finding a treatment. At least not in its physical sense. Because what is going on. At this point, by any definition, is not an epidemic of unusual proportions, at least not as it stands right now. You know, as opposed to certain places like New York City, Massachusetts, New Jersey, in March, early April, a couple weeks there, you could say it reached an epidemic level. Even then, you have to put it in perspective relative to what and relative to the disproportionate response to it. But as it stands now, what we have is a national psychosis. It's an epidemic of fear, of pandemonium, of paranoia. This is really more of a mental health problem. And then that in itself is inducing an unconscionable mental health crisis that I think a lot of us are starting to get a flavor with the suicides and drug overdoses, but I think we still cannot even begin to imagine What this does to a generation or two of Americans, and really people around the world, in terms of their quality of of life, their soul, who are they, it's going to touch on every part of their behavior, which in turn will affect every area of public policy, as well as just private living, business, schools, anything. People's behavior is utterly, utterly out of control. So with us today is our in-house mental health expert, Dr. Mark McDonald. He's a board-certified child and adult psychiatrist uh, in L.A. He's got a practice there. You can check him up online. Um, He is an expert in adult psychoanalysis, which we really, really need here to understanding the root cause and maybe coming up with a solution to what to do here. He was part of those frontline doctors, that group of um, doctors that really made a splash last month, came down to DC and spoke the truth. So we figured because he was so well-received last time, I got so many great emails from you guys. We want to really update what is going on in the mental health of this country. Dr. McDonald, thanks for joining us again today.
0: Well, I'm really grateful for your invitation for me to return, Daniel. It's uh, lovely to hear that the discussion we had a few months ago while I was in D.C. was so well received, and your introduction, I think, is so on point. Everything you said is precisely how I see things, and uh, be happy to uh, to talk more about that
1: today. So, so let's pick up where where I left off there, because I think this is something that is much more intangible and harder to quantify. A lot of people are starting to recognize that there was a physical toll to this. So obviously, you have missed cancer diagnoses. You have a lot of people appear to have died of heart attacks at home because they're too scared to come in. The elective surgeries, which weren't really so elective, that were put off. But then you have the mental health. And, And when I say mental health, I don't just mean even there something that you could possibly create a dashboard of. You know, 47% in many places, 47% increase in drug overdoses or suicides, which is huge. But I don't know. There's almost like this X factor that if you take an entire generation of people and tell them they're going to die, you better do this. You better snitch on people. You better get in people's faces, demand they wear a mask, put masks on your children. I'm talking about an X factor of you're seeing it, I think, in the divorces. It's the quality of humanity, the quality of civilization, the quality of families, who you are as a being, um, just interpersonal relationships, the way you view a human being. What are you seeing in terms of that cascading effect if you had to project out in the future some of the perhaps overlooked ancillary problems that we are going to see from a mental health standpoint in the coming months and years?
0: Daniel, what we've done is we've outlawed joy and we've mandated fear. That can persist without any significant damage for a brief period of time. In fact, it it might be necessary when you're in a crisis. If you're fighting in a war, uh, you don't, should not, cannot be joyful, gleeful, humorous, spontaneous, impulsive, fun, carefree, or you'll die you should be somewhat afraid, not paralyzed by fear, but certainly uh, quite on edge and quite vigilant. Once the war is over though, you see what happens when the veterans return and they Mm -hmm. remain that way. There's a lovely Clint Eastwood movie uh, years back, uh, Gran Torino, named after the car that described the effects on an, an older soldier, you know, Clint Eastwood's age, retired 70, 80 years old who had lived in a state of perpetual fear and a a state of joylessness since he returned from the war. And he slept next to a rifle. And whenever he would hear noises outside, he'd open up the the box next to his bed, pull the loaded rifle out, which I believe he had had when he was in the service and go on patrol and go outside uh, as if he were looking for the enemy. This man suffered. It was very clear the suffering that he faced throughout his life until his death in the movie This is the life that we are being asked to lead now as Americans who have not gone to war. Children, adults, elderly, it's unconscionable. And when I I project forward and I think about where we'll be in a year, two years, 10 years, it, it makes me feel nauseated. I actually feel sick to my stomach because the instances that I have in my own life as I talk to people and the responses that I get when I ask them how they're doing, obviously I speak to people all day long in my practice, And hear things like, well, I've just been staying at home doing Zoom happy hours for the last three months with my four girlfriends and maybe taking a walk with my dog. And I'm doing it because I'm told to. And I feel totally fine with it. I I think it's great. I mean, I would be scared to death if I actually had to go out to a restaurant or play in a park or uh, meet a new person for an interview. I just do everything over the Internet. This is a young person, relatively young, in their 30s. People have become anesthetized to the fear that they're living with. And that's a very, very precarious state to be in because what it's doing, and I see this literally every single day in my practice and my personal life and my travels, what I see is a level of compliance, very eerily similar to what I had read about when I studied history in college, Uh, regarding the former Soviet Union or Eastern Europe, or today, God forbid, China, where people are being nudged through cattle prods and carrot sticks in directions by the government to behave in certain ways that limit their freedoms and limit their ability to express themselves as individuals, to make choices, essentially, which is what America is really founded on. It's founded on liberty, ultimately. And when that goes away and people don't fight for it they start to fall into patterns uh, of insularity of uh, lack of socialization of anxiety when they are outside when they're speaking and meeting with people taking risks is incredibly frightening and demoralizing to people who live in this state our society is slowly unraveling and i really fear that if this continues that we're going to have, as you just said earlier, a, truly a generation of people who are unable to make their way in the world, and who are going to be happily, uh, well, I shouldn't say happily, contentedly, complacently uh, living a life behind a computer inside of a building, a home, with only themselves, their cats, and uh, their spouses if they manage to maintain the marriage. Uh, work will end as we know it. Everybody will be working from home. Uh, the people who are out and about, uh, are going to be dashing to deliver packages with masks and gloves on and then run away without actually saying hello because God forbid that, that they should scare the person inside the building. Children, I, I, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with with uh, fear and grief about what will happen to children. I have nursery school children now whose parents are, are sending them to nursery school with masks on because the alternative is for them to sit at home and do Zoom nursery school. Uh, you think i'm making this up but this is actually happening nursery schools are forcing yep. masks on children in thailand they put propellers on children's heads that are six feet across from the base of the skull on either side so that they don't bump into each other so that they know how to maintain a distance now, can you imagine conditioning children like this with propellers in their heads <laughs> this is insane
1: so, Doctor Doctor McDonald, I want to I want to pick up from that point because this is this is very personal to me. I took my two kids out of private school that you know they were doing this, and originally they said it's only grade school, which was insane enough, insane on, on so many levels. Um, you know, just a medical level, you're spreading bacteria, which which Fauci and, and Surgeon General Jerome Adams said the entire time before it became political that you're going to spread it more. And they were talking about adults, a civilian population wearing it, reusing um, masks that became moisturized. Certainly kids. I mean, it's just unbelievable from a medical standpoint, just from a threat level standpoint where kids really are not at you know, a threat at all, a threat to others, a threat to themselves in terms of the virus. But then they started with the preschool stuff, exact same thing. And it was like these firewalls that we thought, okay, come on, they're not going to do kids. Okay, they're not going to do young kids. And it goes down and down and down. My question to you is, so I see a lot of people, and I'm, I'm the only one I know that pulled my kids out here. A lot of people are like, most people I know don't buy into this, just happens to be. But they have another, maybe you could psychoanalyze this for me. They don't want to stand up, no matter how severe it is. And they'll roll their eyes at it. Yeah, it's kind of dumb. It's kind of stupid. You know, the preschool director here was like, yeah, it's all political, whatever. But what I think they're seeing is this. They're seeing, and, and I think it's more so with most of the time with younger kids than maybe a little older. They think it's kind of funny. Okay, you know, I mean, let's say you dress up for Halloween one day, it's kind of funny, um, and the kids don't necessarily visibly come back distraught. Could you explain to us why that is not proof that this is not an act, an exercise in child abuse, and what this does in the long term?
0: So your point that the, the way that you see the effect on children immediately due to these um, onerous and and asinine mandates uh doesn't necessarily determine whether or not it's good and helpful for example i have uh, a family who told me that they had sent their child to horse camp wearing a mask and she loved it she thought it was just perfectly fine didn't bother her but then when i probed further i found that the girl didn't really want to wear the mask but she did because the alternative was she would have to stay home And so a lot of times the children are begrudgingly doing it because they're told that the alternative is something even worse. That's one point. So it's not that they're they're compliant because they agree to it. They agree to it out of force. It's a forced choice. The second point is that, as you said, some children think it's funny. They think it's a game. Well, that's a very insidious way to encourage compliance with very small children for something that isn't ultimately healthy for them. If you give children ice cream, every day and pizza they'll gleefully accept that they'll think it's fun but it's not healthy for them they don't know any better so you put a mask on a child and the effects the corrosive effects on the mental health of the child is similar to the corrosive effects of giving a child ice cream and pizza uh, increased weight blood sugar diabetes uh, hormonal imbalances problems with sleep metabolism all kinds of nasty stuff and it starts to become a behavior and a habit so you put a mask on a child And pretty soon what ends up happening is, and this is the insidious part, is that even if the child doesn't fight it, and actually it'd be better if he did fight it, if he doesn't fight it, he's going to start to become accommodated to that. And he's going to start to feel that it's normative. And then at some point when he doesn't have the mask on, he's going to feel odd. He's going to feel that something's missing and he's going to start feeling like something is wrong. The security blanket that protected him against God knows what that mommy said was important now isn't there. So what does he do? He starts to develop anxiety and fear, and he starts to ask questions like, well, if I don't have the mask, what's going to happen? Is something terrible going to happen? Am I going to hurt somebody? Obviously, I had to have this for a reason. Mommy wouldn't make me wear it if it wasn't important. Children don't understand politics. They don't understand power plays with school officials and districts and teachers union. God, God forbid they should. So I think what we're going to see, and it, it's happening now, I've actually noticed it with children who have been told to wear a mask and they think it's funny. And then after days and days and days, somehow, uh, for some reason, they don't have to wear it that day. And they actually are looking for it and they want to wear the mask yes. because they feel naked without it. That is actually, in my opinion, that is actually even more sick than forcing the mask on the child because at least then he's fighting back. and He's going to rip the darn thing off as soon as he can. And good for him
1: that's what scares me what what i am terrified and i started seeing this coming early on in the fight over lockdowns and then early you know later on but early in the fight on school reopenings i said lockdown is bad but what scared me even worse was a false reopening was the notion and and they they were using this term early on and you hinted to it a new normal there's one thing when you're just completely shut down it's kind of black and white and people recognize that that's not normal and eventually you you go back to, to normalcy. But what scares me now is that they've conditioned people so quickly that this is the new normal. And there's no end in sight. They don't have to demonstrate a certain benchmark like, hey, it's until this amount of uh, cases or or deaths or we have to show this degree of efficacy. We'll debate it. We'll have some hearings in the county council or state legislature. Uh, we'll have a vote. We'll have a um, you know a certain time limit on it. Know that this is the new normal. So my question to you is more from an adult psychoanalysis standpoint. How did we get here? How did we get to a point? If you would have told people in, in February, we're going to grab. I don't know if you saw that video. Um, the seventeen-month-old baby on an air an airline um, what, Yep, that's what it was. I saw the
0: video last night. I was appalled, Daniel. Absolutely appalled. How it, does, it does that happen? My blood.
1: How does that? How does a, a a human brain conjure up such an idea? And if they conjure up such an idea, how do they act upon it? How have we made people such savages and also just so illogical? I mean, it it boggles the human. It's disgusting. Any any doctor, any medical professional, any scientist, they did say I have a whole – I'm going to have a very long article out chronicling all the literature on this up until really May – Um, From Fauci, from from the surgeon general, from any study that was done on this, even among adults, but much less kids, babies, it becomes a bacteria trap. It's just illogical. But it's almost like if you would have told me they're going to do this, I would have said that's a good thing because then people are going to push back. I am not seeing a pushback. How did we get here? And do you think there's a trigger point where people will push back?
0: I would encourage all of your listeners to Google Stanford prison experiment. It took place in 1971 by psychologist Philip Zimbardo at Stanford University. There is a video about it that is amazing. I watched it 15, 20 years ago and I watched it 10 years ago and I just watched it again recently. It gives you a beautiful explanation visually and contextually that answers your very question. The answer is this, compliance and control. That WestJet video is an excellent example of how you turn compliance and control into a sick, odious experiment. What Zimbardo did was he took students at Stanford and he randomly assigned them to two roles, guard or prisoner. They were all voluntary. They, I think they got paid or they got a special bonus points on their exams. And he literally locked them in a basement with cells for, it's supposed to be several weeks long. And he told the prisoners that they had to be and act as prisoners. And he told the guards they had to be and act as guards. And the experiment became so deranged and so sadistic, not because of anything he did, but because of what happened to the participants who were all normal undergrads, they all knew each other. He had to stop the experiment after just a few days because it actually became dangerous. The prisoners became initially terribly compliant. The guards fed on that compliance and it it activated a level of sadism in them that they started to abuse them, initially just psychologically making caustic comments like, you can't leave today, I can. Then threatening them, then poking them with batons, taking away their food. And then the prisoners eventually started to become either ultra compliant or started to revolt. And he started to worry that there would actually be violence and he had to stop the experiment. It's it's a beautiful documentary about this. You can even just look it up in two minutes, read about it. That WestJet video is exactly what, that's a a great image to explain what happened. I watched it. These poor parents are stuck on a plane with an infant, 18 months old, who's crying hysterically, who's just vomited and who's being told by the, the flight attendants apparently that they need to put a mask on the child, which is absurd. And abusive and what you see in the video is these police officers i can't hear exactly what they're saying but they're clearly acting in a very dictatorial fashion they're pointing their fingers at the parents they're scolding them they're they're pointing to the to the exit aisle that's essentially saying you have to get off the plane they're not trying to commiserate with or to to gain compliance by just asking them to participate they're ordering them and it's clearly unnecessary there's no violence the parents are not raising their voices they're very calm and some of the passengers are yelling at the, at the uh, police, some of the passengers are yelling at the parents, there's this huge divergence. So what I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that what I'm seeing here is a, a forced polarization of compliance in terms of people who are just going along to get along and becoming demoralized because everywhere they turn, they, they, if they don't follow the rules, something bad happens. They get kicked out of the store, they get thrown off the plane, so they just go along and do it. And then another group of people like these police officers, like these flight attendants, uh, like the storekeepers, are, are becoming um, not one of the people anymore where they're actually there to protect and serve and, and assist. They're actually becoming enforcers. So there's this, this shift that I see for people who are not typically enforcers, like, like waitresses, for example. You don't think of a waitress as an enforcer. Oh, yeah. She's there to serve you, right? And police are ultimately as well, unless there's violence involved, obviously. But they're there to protect and serve. Right now, you're seeing a group of of, of of people, depending on their position, and they're normal, nice people. I'm not saying these are bad people, just like the, the students in the prison experiment. But there's an element in all of us that can be activated when we're pressed to act as an enforcer. And I think that, that this is a, a very disturbing psychological experiment that is turning into uh, what you've seen in the 20th century uh, with totalitarian countries. You think about Germany as a perfect example around World War II, uh, people who turn on each other because they get uh, rewarded for it and they get punished if they don't. And then it just becomes part of them and they start to take on this role. So I think that this is one of the, the very insidious aspects in the adult world in a psychological, or psychological perspective that I think is, is turning uh, American against American and making people feel uh, scared and depriving of, of their uh, intrinsic um, acts uh, and virtues of charity and goodness towards, uh, towards their fellow man.
1: I think that that's really it because it's not just the people that are deathly afraid that if you don't have the mask on, it's just gonna come get me. I mean, there are people like that, but those are usually the people that are locking themselves down by by virtue of them being around. Uh, They're not going to be like that. I just read before I brought you on a letter from a listener who just lost his mother and he needed a death certificate notarized in a bank. I mean, you'd think, you know, you're dealing with someone who's distraught, just lost their mother. And and this banker was just animalistic towards him about making him wear a mask. And it was like a massive, massive room, 100 foot ceiling, 3000 square feet, five people there. You could stand, you know, she's she's working in person. She's not going to be one of these people that are deathly afraid. The impression I got from that story and from what a lot of what we're seeing, certainly the um, WestJet, a a lot of these videos we're all seeing out of Australia, which, by the way, demonstrates there's a lot more coming or a lot more potential tyranny than even what we have here, if we don't stop it, that, like you're saying, it activates in these people, they love it. Meaning, if I'm a teacher in a school, I have a school, I have a business, I have something... I get to act out my COVID policies, and, I, and it's almost like they enjoy it.
0: Because the restraints have been taken off, Daniel. That's—that's that's, that's the difference. It's not that people have become evil. It's that their evil side, their bad side, has been now unrestrained by – Taking away all of the, the restrictions, legal and otherwise, that we placed on people to keep them in check. And now their worst nature is coming out. That's what you're saying.
1: Because it's almost like, again, there's, there's a sadistic side, I guess, of everyone that wants to kind of beat on so on and control so on. Um, but you can't do that either legally or just, you know, the polite laws of society. But what I think we've trained people is that you're not human. You're dehumanized. First of all, the whole masking is literally dehumanizing. But also, if you don't abide by this, you are a murderer. So you deserve any fate that um, that that becomes of you. And and what I find again, the shocking juxtaposition I continuously talk about every day is that this is taking place during a time of laissez-faire policing against truly violent people. So it's one thing if like we're consistently China. You know, China they're not going to tolerate smashing windows and burning and stealing and beating and beating cops up and then they don't even get arrested or prosecuted. But but we are tolerating that. Is that kind of what you're talking about that that has to do with the compliance that basically People need to be put in check. So sometimes it's illegally, sometimes it's uh, taboo in society, or sometimes it's downright physical. I'm put in check because I know if I kind of screw with you, you're going to get violent with me. But if I know you're going to be compliant, I'm going to act upon that. I mean, doesn't this teach an entire generation of people a very unfortunate lesson that I certainly don't want people to take? that violence is the answer. People beg to have their businesses reopen. Screw you, talk to the hand. But on the other hand, people are like, I think there's racial injustice, so I can beat, mob, block traffic, drag people out of their cars, and somehow that's okay.
0: It's basically tribalism, what you're describing, and it's Lord of the Flies. I'm sure we've all read that book. (laughs) When you take away virtue, you take away law, you take away morality, and you simply redefine what's right as who holds the stick then the one that doesn't becomes the piggy and you get to stake him and then roast him on a spit. And that's what's happening right now. It's, it's incredibly primitive. And this, this loss or or removal of societal constraints and and legal restraints is uh, really a devolution of society. And the direction that this is going is, is going, it's leading to a place that is really like a Lord of the flies type of island. Uh, I just received a letter on Monday from Delta Airlines. I'm now banned from Delta. I cannot fly on Delta anymore because I was in Iowa two weeks ago and I was eating a beef jerky stick and drinking a glass of water before takeoff. And the flight attendant came by and uh, started to scold me. And I told him that I was eating and drinking and he let me go. And then a few minutes later, he came by and he said, you've been drinking that water for almost three minutes now. Wow. And I looked at him. I said, you're timing me. And he didn't answer, but he said, you better put your damn mask on and eat with it while it's on. And I looked at him, I said, could you repeat what you just said, please? Did you say eat with the mask on? And then he kind of fumbled and stuttered and he (laughs) said, but but, but, but what I mean is like, you put it on after you finish eating. I said, that's what I'm doing. Well, you're not following the rules. I said, I am following the rules. The rules are that while I'm drinking and eating, I'm not required to wear a mask. And it made him very angry. It made him enraged. And he said, you don't want to follow the rules. And then he said, I'm a former police officer, and I want you to follow the rules. Well, apparently, I didn't follow the rules in the way that he interpreted them, because he told me that he would have someone meet me at the gate when the flight landed. When the plane landed, someone got on the plane who introduced herself as the station manager. She was very pleasant, very kind. She was from Romania, of all places. So she, she knew what <laughs> dictatorships were. And we oh, joked man. and laughed as we were walking off. And she said, oh, this is worse than the days of Ceausescu. Oh, my goodness. In Bucara, <laughs> she went on and on about. She was lovely. But she said she had to investigate, take my statement, take his statement. Very lovely woman. Isn't it ironic that the, the Romanian immigrant was actually reasonable and the, um, the, the American-born former police officer was the dictator? I find that very <laughs> ironic. Well, a week later, uh, Monday, I got a letter, an E-letter from from Delta saying that I had violated the rules and I would no longer be allowed to fly. So the point I'm making is that right now it's not about right and wrong. It's about following rules. And the rules are determined arbitrarily by those who 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 seek power and who wish to maintain that power. And of course, those people don't have to follow the rules. I mean, witness the the recent Nancy Pelosi blowout fiasco, uh, the reopening of government gyms in San Francisco, where her district is, but the ongoing closure of public gyms everywhere else in the state. I mean, the list goes on and on, as you know. So if we allow this to continue, if there is not a revolt, an actual civil revolt, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon because of the level of compliance of the populace, this has no end. This will just keep on going until we actually turn into a true tyrannical state. And that's my fear. My fear is not Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom and Eric Garcetti and all of these people here in California nationally that are pushing things. We've always had these uh, these petty tyrants in our midst. But what we've had to counter them has been a, a, a vigilant, uh, liberty-driven, vocal populace of well-armed, both in words and thought and deed and, and with weapons, Americans. And that is disappearing. And that, I think, is a a terrible threat to our future.
1: So with that, I want to end with the final point. Today is September 10th. Tomorrow is yet another anniversary of 9-11. How do you compare the mental health of patients you've seen, people you know, after 9-11? I remember after 9-11, I'm a bit younger than you, but I remember that obviously there was a great deal of fear but there really wasn't that much panic, maybe at the time we thought it was. But, you know, what the terrorists couldn't accomplish, what they couldn't do to this, they, they really didn't crush our spirit. I mean, I think at a governmental level, we did some stupid things. There are certain things we should have done on immigration, Muslim Brotherhood, whatever. I'm not going to get into that now uh, that we didn't do and things that we did do that we kind of wasted our time with. But at least at a societal level, um, you know, it didn't. We didn't turn on each other, and in fact, it really did unite the country at least for for a little while. And it waned over time. Um, it's truly amazing that this is a much more devastating event than nine eleven. It's hard to even make a big deal out of it. And I don't want to belittle it. Every year I make a big deal. I do a special show tomorrow, but this year I'm not even into it because what we have done to ourselves just blows out the magnitude of what the terrorists tried, but really failed, at least in spirit, to do to us.
0: That's something I've been thinking about, too, as we approach this anniversary of 9-11. And I remember where I was the day, as we all do, um, when those Twin Towers fell. Uh, phone lines were, were unavailable and jammed. As people were calling families and friends. Uh, roads were closed. Planes were not allowed to take off. The ones that were in the air were forced to land. And then, as you, uh, as you pointed out, Uh, after a a moment of of shock and grief and uh, collecting our wits and and understanding what we were really facing, which fortunately wasn't a war, but but a a few, very small number of uh, radicalized, wealthy uh, Saudis uh, who had come into these claims. We really did come together as a country, as a nation. And I remember people being thoughtful, kind, patient, uh, tolerant, uh, letting people come and go when they wish to work, uh, uh, helping with childcare—there were, with, with only rare exceptions, really nothing but examples of true core American values and, and camaraderie uh, in, the, in the, the real humane and human sense. We are in the opposite direction right now. We have, in self, we have, we have caused a wound that is entirely self-inflicted. It's not a medical wound from a virus. Uh, the, the, The medical toll on our country from the virus directly continues to be revised downward by the day as the actual toll from medical problems caused by this government response to the virus and the mental injury continues to mount and to be unaccounted for and not talked about It is the actual inverse of what happened on 9-11, the absolute opposite. And it's all coming from within. It's not even coming from without. So if we can't even take care of ourselves, how on earth are we going to defend ourselves against a real external threat? Even if we manage to survive this, Daniel, you, 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 you can imagine what our enemies around the world are thinking right now. They're just scratching their heads and saying, wow, This is America, this paper tiger. Let's just wait until they do themselves in, until they're at their weakest point, until they've completely turned against one another. And then we're going to move in financially, socially, culturally, politically, militarily. I mean, what we have done in the last six months, I don't think any enemy could have accomplished in 10 years. We would have fought back. That is, to me, is truly mind boggling and, and, and frightening.
1: Deep thoughts as always. Thanks so much for joining us today. Certainly keep us updated on what you're seeing with your pulse on the mental health of the nation as we go through this national psychosis. Um, Best of luck. And folks, if you're in the LA area looking for a psychiatrist, look up Dr. Mark McDonald. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Daniel.
1: Take care. So that was Dr. Mark McDonald. And I'll tell you guys, he's the type of guy that you really have to listen over two or three times. Very deep thoughts um a lot to unpack there really a lot to unpack there and it boils down to what we began the show with it's the compliance the more you see a lot of you guys i know what you're thinking and and i'm kind of that way too naturally you think all right i'll just you know sweet talk someone i'll give in Th- there's a time and a place for that but then there's a point where this becomes so maniacal where the forces of evil feel that they have such a license To do sadistic things to you. That the more you are compliant to it. The more you're inviting. The more that will happen. You can't wish this away. You can't smile it away. And you cannot. Comply it away. So to speak. You cannot end this. With compliance. We need a revolt. And you know. You go to places like Australia. They no longer have the first amendment. So you better use it while you still have it because this this is going down the tubes. And again, it's hard to feel alone. It's hard to do things alone. But when you get eight to 10 people together, you could accomplish a lot, at least in your local sphere, which usually affects you more than anything nationally. So my advice is don't look at this as like, oh, man, one big giant national issue. What am am I going to do, Joe, John Doe? Well, I'll tell you, in your local community, pick two or three fights, you get a couple people together, you'd be surprised what you could accomplish, and people are like, wow, you know, they're, they're pretty, you know, they're going to react, maybe I better back off. But right now, there is no deterrent. There is no deterrent against that, because we have outlawed joy, and we've mandated fear. Why don't we mandate joy and outlaw fear, at least in our own lives, from what we can control? push this forward tomorrow obviously is going to be the anniversary of 9-11 we'll be talking about that tomorrow let's stay in touch through email dharowitz at blazemedia.com twitter at arm conservative on facebook horowitz citizen sanctuary as well as our private page minimum speakeasy till tomorrow god bless y'all and may god keep us safe